the best advice to entrepreneurs, kids, any of that stuff? Simon Sinek, Start With Why. One of the best books I've ever read just about life in general. Mm -hmm. It really is more of a business manual, but he starts with most people talk about what they do, how they do it, and then eventually get to why they do it. But the people who really change the world, his example on YouTube, TED Talk, mm -hmm. he's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Apple Computers, and the Wright Brothers. And the Wright Brothers weren't the only people working on airplanes at the time. There were about five or six other groups, all of which were better funded, had better talent, even had more prospects as far as what to do once you got this thing off the ground. Mm -hmm. But the Wright brothers were just mad dog passionate about this concept. Boss Uncaged is a bi-weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners as they become uncaged trailblazers, unconventional thinkers, untethered trendsetters, and unstoppable tycoons. We always hear about overnight success stories, never knowing that it took 20 years to become a reality. Our host, S.A. Grant, conducts narrative accounts through the voices and stories behind Uncaged Bosses. In each episode, guests from a wide range of backgrounds sharing diverse business insights. Learn how to release your primal success through words of wisdom from inspirational entrepreneurs and industry experts as they depict who they are, how they juggle their work life with family life, their successful habits, business expertise, tools, and tips of their trade. Release the uncaged boss beast in you. Welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome to Boss Uncaged Podcast. On today's show, we have Mark Garrell, a director of innovation, but I prefer to call him the Waz of Fulton County. Today, we discuss project-based learning and pushing the limits of the education system and supporting the future entrepreneurs of tomorrow. Let's jump right into the show. Welcome, the Waz of Fulton County, Mark Garrell. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Chanel. Happy to be here. Cool, cool. So I think I kind of caught you off guard because you read the description and you were just kind of like, well, yeah. I'm a teacher. <laughs> what do I have to offer this audience? Yeah. And I think that with your background and the mm -hmm. fact that you're working with students gives you opportunity to launch the next Steve Jobs, the next yeah. Bill Gates. So why don't you give the audience a little bit of who you are? Okay. So my name is Mark Garrell. Uh, title is Innovation Director at Fulton Academy of Science and Technology. Been there four years since the beginning. And before that, I was a computer teacher, technology coordinator, just all-around nerd at the Galloway School cool. down in Buckhead. And uh, really, even before that, was in computer sales, network design, and really kind of looking at this technology world as the ultimate creative playground, as one opportunity to go from computer sales to now computer education mm -hmm. and then computer education into the broader project-based learning the stem aspects of it all it, mm -hmm. it, you know everything is just taking the core concept of that outrageous creative opportunity grow it grow it expand it a little bit more mm -hmm. and now at fast it's all right how can i take all of those opportunities and hand them off to you know, the kids who are going to be the ones who change the world. And so, I mean, I guess, what is project-based learning? So, project-based learning, it really comes about how you learn or what really is considered learning. When I was a kid back in the 70s and 80s, it was really about rote memorization. You read yeah. your timetables and you passed if you could do all 144 in under two minutes. Didn't count, didn't matter if you understood that six times seven was six sevens and you're counting them. Mm -hmm. All you had to know was six times seven was 42. True. And then with project-based learning, it's really getting into the how do you figure out that six times seven is 42. And if you want to do that with, you know, six pods of seven gummy worms and you count each gummy worm. Or if you want to do tick marks or 
it really is just more about giving you an opportunity to work through the facts and have that aha moment of, oh, six times seven really means six, seven times. Mm -hmm. There it is. And then you start applying that to things like, you know, social studies. Okay, why do countries go to war? War is probably the biggest definer of historic moments. So is it always about political differences? Is it about money? Is it about expansion? Is some of it just petty jealousy? So how do you then prove that? And then you start looking at original documents. You start looking at what footage we may have or what photographs. And it really now becomes not just, oh, you know, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Mm -hmm. It's Columbus had these motivating factors. He goes to Spain because Spain aligns with those motivating factors. He wants the gold from the trade, you know, and you start really understanding, oh, this Columbus guy really isn't the hero we think he is. And he never really did what we say he did. So, okay, now project-based, maybe Columbus really becomes a different talking point in our history classes. What about George Washington? What about, you know, you go back even the War of 1812, the Spanish, you know, you can start exploring any topic by here's the project. And the project isn't your final outcome. Literally doing the project is how you learn. Okay. You're exploring, you're picking it apart, you're putting the pieces together. So when we talk about project-based learning, instead of me as a teacher lecturing and the students trying to remember everything I say, it's, here's your challenge. I want you to figure out who actually discovered America. And then you're going to have one kid who goes, oh, well, it was Leif Erikson. And then another kid's going to go, hey, wait, there were a whole bunch of people here before anyone showed up. You can't say discovered America. You can just say showed up. Got it. Got it. And so that when we talk project-based learning, it really is flipping that idea of I'm not telling you what you need to know. I'm giving you a place for you to figure it out. Got it. Yeah. So I think in that summary that you just gave, mm -hmm. I knew that you was going to be passionate the second <laughs> you started talking about it, right? And I yeah. was like, I really want – because I had several people on the show before, mm -hmm. and the topic of education always comes up. And for entrepreneurs, including myself, we always get frustrated knowing that we paid thousands of dollars to go to school – we learned a trade, mm -hmm. and we have no idea how to monetize it or what the hell to do with this trade. Right. But yeah. in your environment, it's a completely different upbringing of the next generation of potential leaders for tomorrow. It really is. And one of the things I like about the way we're trying to do it, you know, and again, it's not always a success, um, mm -hmm. but we're trying. It really comes to what drives that student. Mm -hmm. And so... You may have a student who's a fantastic musician. So every way that she processes the information, it either becomes a song or, you know, relates to a song. Um, you may have a kid who's a, you know, everything is about acting. And so mm -hmm. all of his projects become a script or sock puppet theater. You may have a kid who just loves to write. And it now becomes a, here are the things I want you to learn. History, science, you know, these are the important things, mm -hmm. but now it's about what, how do you show me that you've learned this? And then that then becomes for the entrepreneurs, okay, what is your driving passion? Mm -hmm. Is it just making tons of money? Okay, well, does that then become stock trading? Do you find a niche market that no one's explored yet? Mm -hmm. Can you redefine a market that's in decline and revitalize it some new way or just out hustle the next guy down the road. Um, the old saying, there's two different ways to make a million dollars. One dollar a million times mm -hmm. or a million dollars once. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So I guess this is back up and just get yeah. a little bit of your history. I mean, like, okay. define yourself in three words. Ooh, uh, <laughs> creative is a big one. I love making the things mm -hmm. the next one would be unusual because if everyone can do it then i don't want to do it and then curious it's not enough to know that this works i want to know how it works why does it work 
you know, if I tweak this, how does that change? So I'm going to say curious, creative, and unusual. Cool, cool. So being that you're teaching these kids to think differently and with the intent that potentially they're going to be leaders and entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. did you come from an entrepreneurial background? I really didn't. Everything I come into, I kind of stumble into, almost backwards. Um, Started off wanting to be an aerospace engineer and failed miserably at that college level. Mm. Then a friend of mine said, well, have you ever thought about youth ministry? You know, you love church. And went into that, got a degree in it, and then realized there is no way in the world you're going to have, you can't support a family, much less (laughs) enjoy life as a youth pastor, Mm -hmm. which then got into, well, the thing that I've always gravitated to were computers. Uh, You know, my older brother brought home a TRS-80. Nice. And I remember, you know, teaching myself basic as a kind of... That's programming languages for people. Uh, uh, Yeah. (laughs) In old school programming languages. But it was... I, I just kind of found an opportunity and went and found an opportunity and went. And literally was never thinking of myself as an entrepreneur or I'm going to come up with the next new thing. Really until a friend of mine who is a venture capitalist, he said, it was right around when Uber and all that was coming out and the word disruption Mm -hmm. was everywhere. And he said, what would it take to disrupt education? And I said, okay, off the top of my head, $2 billion. You give me $2 billion, I will give you the ultimate new school. He goes, no, 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 too much. Cut it in half and give me a budget. So I go home, sketch it all out. Okay, I can do the ultimate school for $1 billion. No, 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 no. Still too much. Cut it in half again. Finally get it down to $500 million. And I mean, like, you know, here's the state-of-the-art computer lab, and here's this, and here's and, you know, Everything is shiny, and that. Yeah. He goes, no, 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 no. 500 is a little on the high side. Get two PhDs to look this over, and if they vet it, I'll take it to an investment group. Okay. And, and so the only time I've ever considered myself an entrepreneur, I actually had this business plan mm-hmm of a new school, and I took it to two PhDs. And I just said, you know, can you look this over, find any mistake possible? Where have I gone wrong? Give it back to me. Hmm. And they both kind of looked and went, this is actually a really good idea. So they signed the bottom of it, handed it back to my buddy. He actually took it to the investment group, and they came back with $500 million, still too much, cut it in half again. And, and so that time I'm like, okay, I'm not even going halves anymore. Got it down to $150 million. Mm-hmm. For $150 million, opening the ultimate learning experience and keep it funded for 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, I should have enough graduates and people who have seen this work mm-hmm. that I could go to Department of Education, the governor, president, anyone who wants. It's like, you want to see what education be? spend two hours on this campus. Hmm. The only time I've ever thought of myself as an entrepreneur, Hmm. I have been shopping that plan for the last five years. Hmm. It's like someone out there has $150 million that wants to revamp education. So let's just dive into that a little bit more. Okay. I mean, you're talking about what age group, what demographic? Are you talking more college, high school, middle school? So, so I'm actually, it's the plan is grade 6 through 12. Okay. And it's kind of on the smaller side of a school. Each grade will have about four classes, mm-hmm. four groups of 25 students. So it'll end up being about 800 kids, give or take. And then really kind of changing the way we talk about what is learning. And the three big problems that I see with schools that we have right now. The way we teach teachers, Mm -hmm. the way we define student success, Mm -hmm. and the way we design the places that we do it in. And so basically I want to change those three elements. The teachers, most of them have master's degrees. You've really been in it. You can't really a teacher until you've done it for three years Mm -hmm. is the norm. And they're still making less than 50,000 a year. Unfortunately. yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, General manager at a quick trip gas station is making 55. So we're losing talent to gas station managers. We need the best and the brightest in our schools. 
And then we need to give them a place to do their job. So probably 80% of that $150 million is teacher salaries. Mm-hmm. And I want to start them at 65000 and you get three years. So where I'm, I'm kind of stealing from a law firm. You got three years to prove you are really dedicated to being creative, being passionate about teaching. You're committed to this project. At the end of three years, I'll bump you up to 75000 At 75000 you've got seven years. So you're almost going from like a junior partner to a partner. Mm-hmm. And then over the seven years, I want you talking with your colleagues about what worked, what didn't, going to conferences and stealing from the best ideas, mm-hmm. presenting at conferences. You're you know, almost marketing at that point. But you're also constantly adjusting what worked, what didn't, what worked, what didn't. And you can kind of gauge, oh, hey, in February, I can't do the same lesson that I would have done in March because just, you know, it's gray, it's gloomy. I need more inside quiet activities. And then come late March, early April, we can do the bigger and the bolder. You show me that you're really into being a great teacher, at the end of seven years, I want to promote you to a master teacher. Mm -hmm. And really that master level isn't just you've made it to the seven-year mark. It's you've got seven years of a portfolio of outstanding creative lessons. Now, I'm not going to fire you at the end of seven, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to promote you just because you've hit the seven-year mark. And then, you know, in the pipeline, here's all of these three-year young kids coming up If there's someone coming up that's more dedicated, I now have to look at a teacher and go, what are you doing that I want to keep you? And so, yeah, I'm willing to give them more money, but also hold them to that professional standard. But I think when when you get to that demographic, and Mm -hmm. and I think your formula is sound, I think the only variable in that that formula that I would look at shifting, and Mm -hmm. I could put my two cents in, would be more of an equity share, right? Yeah. Because you're talking more about business people that are going to step into that space. Right. And if you're not thinking about an employee at that point in time, you're thinking more of a partnership. Right. So if you're thinking more of a partnership and then you give them an opportunity at seven years to have equity ownership, then I think you would have more of an allegiance versus the trading of, okay, seven years, I'm like a doctor, I'm going to move on and do my specialty over here. I already got my experience and move on to the next hospital. Yeah. I'm thinking if I don't know how that would work. Well, that's where education becomes this odd little outlier, there is no money other than tax money. So you could have the greatest product in the world, you're not getting any more money out of it. And so where I kind of love Daniel Pink's book, Drive, he kind of did the research. There's three things that if you, you know, up until 75,000, it doesn't matter what you do, money is the biggest motivator. After 75,000, You could give them more money, but you're not getting more output. Mm -hmm. And so what he found was at that 75,000 mark, the three biggest motivators are mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And so purpose, that's a teacher's dream. We're all here for the kids. We got purpose. Mm -hmm. Autonomy is the big one because so much of what a teacher has to do You know, we're dictated by the standards. Mm -hmm. The school buys the curriculum. You have to use the curriculum. You have to get this kind of scores on the milestones. And I'm like, screw all of that. No, no, no. I want you as a teacher, give the students a way to show what they understand in a learning environment. Mm -hmm. And so the autonomy really goes from the teacher to the students. I'm giving you as a teacher the chance to show me what you can teach. Mm -hmm. You as a student, show me what you've learned. And if it's, again, song and dance routine, if it's a video play, if it's a paper, if you really want a test, cool, we'll give you a test too. But the autonomy is the place where education really can open the doors because we don't have to be a cookie cutter. In fact, we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be a cookie cutter. Yeah. And I think also part of that, okay, look at it from the standpoint of... Once you graduate from college, and I went through the journey myself. I graduated from college, and I got a graphic design degree. I got a web design and multimedia degree, and I use it on a regular basis. But 
I went back to school so many different times, mm-hmm. and I didn't go back to a physical school. I went online learning. Right, right, right. So I took workshops, and I, I went yep. to seminars, and I, and I did online webinars. And every single bit of information that I've got, I've compiled it into my growth process. Right, exactly. So why wouldn't you guys look at p- potentially doing that now? Like, like I think, remember in college, the only time I really enjoyed college is when we had like a, a weekend like a fundraiser where right. it was like 20 of us and we had to build a website in 12 hours. Okay. Yeah. And so you had this website, you built it and then you donated it at the end of the 12 hours, but you were working towards a goal the whole time versus an exam or a score. Right. Right. And see, there's a movement towards that. Mm-hmm. Actually the program I'm at at Kennesaw mm-hmm. for a master's, they're calling it the online learning revolution. Okay. And so there's actually a whole program just based on how do you design an online learning experience? And I think where that will become what you're describing is when the schools realize it doesn't have to be a semester long. It could be, I'm going to do a 12-hour class. Boom. And then the student can take my 12-hour class anytime they want in that journey towards where they want to be. I could do a 24-hour class. I could do a six-week class. Where we're kind of stuck at the moment is the assessment part of it. States, the government, all say, you know, it has to be a test. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the worst thing in the world for assessing real learning. Because it's always at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. It's always this marathon, you know, three hours with pencil and paper or Mm -hmm. three hours in front of a computer screen. You're not thinking, you're stressed, you're not at your best. Mm-hmm. So how is that a real judgment of what you've learned? Society, right? Right, right. <laughs> and it's a holdover from like the 1880s. Mm-hmm. So we're already 120 yeah. years out of that model. Yeah, I think that it still exists because doctors still have to take exams, lawyers right. still have to take exams, yep. insurance agents, yep. um, anybody trading stock. It's all cramming random information in your head that, Right. may or may never use again. Right. And to me, the fact that here's the thing that you may or may not ever use, mm. but you need it in case you do. Where my passion as a gamer comes in, video games have this brilliant concept called a skill tree. And, you know, you start World of Warcraft, mm. you're a level one, you know, can you hit this button and swing your sword? Got it. Okay. Swing your sword. 10 times you kill these 10 monsters, you're now a level one sword. Okay. Okay. Go out, swing three different ways, you're now a level two sword. Oh, okay. You can't just fight with a sword. Now you need a bow and arrow. Oh, you can't just fight all the time. You also need to fish to get food. And so every time you learn this new skill in the game, you click on a picture, and here's the map of all of the skills that are available to you, the whence you're at now, and what's available next. And then beyond the next is, you know, the entire range of knowledge. What I would love to see are schools develop a similar kind of, all right, let's start with math. Can you count? You're a level one math. Can you use a number scale to count? You're a level two. Okay, so now you can see that if you're at three and you count four, five, six, three plus three is six. Well, you've just figured out addition. You're a level three math. And okay, so now coming back to math, three plus three plus three, three, three times, three times three. Now you've just unlocked multiplication, Mm -hmm. unlocked division. Now let's unlock exponents. Now let's unlock logarithms. And so I can show you what I've learned through this skill tree. And then as a doctor, I can say, okay, I know how to do diagnostics. I know how to read the vitals chart. I know how to, if there's this unknown rash, I know how to at least go to the medical journals and look for, Mm -hmm. well, I know it's not measles, mumps, or rubella. So what else could it be? And, you know, as a stock trader, I know here are these different laws that I cannot violate, but can I be creative with this opportunity? Mm -hmm. And so 
as more and more professions can say, hey, look, here's the skill and the information. Don't show it to me on a test. Build a portfolio of you demonstrate that you understand that concept any way you want. Imagine somebody on the New York Stock Exchange floor taking a video explaining the buying and selling of stocks right there as it happens. That's a fantastic version of, okay, I know how, you know, not to cause a panic Mm -hmm. on the floor. All right, there's my check mark. I know I can't make a bid on this because my brother is the CEO of that company and he had three too many drinks last night. A little inside trading. Right, right, right. (laughs) So, okay, let's do a video of what is insider training. That woman now has a check for, I understand insider training. Not only has she developed mastery, anyone can come behind her, use her resource and go, oh, I can learn about insider training from her. Now here's my video about it. And so not only are you showing what you've learned, you're helping the people behind you learn as well. Got it. So currently where you are right now, I think you're like probably leaps and bounds above (laughs) any other teacher in in the game right now. I mean, you're reminding me of like a, a young Waz, right? Thank you. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> so how long, I mean, we always hear about the 20 years that it takes somebody to become successful. And the reality is it's almost like an overnight success. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to get to where you are right now? Cause I mean, you have a lot of philosophy, you have a lot of passion and I'm sure it just didn't jump out one day. Right? Oh yeah. It happened over a period of time. How long right. was that? Uh, so if we just look at my educational career, mm-hmm. Technically, 15 years. More realistically, my mother would tell you 50 years because I just turned 51 this month. Cool. Uh, Happy birthday. Thank you. You know, she would talk about when I would be a kid and reading all of these education books Mm -hmm. and, you know, being 12 years old and reading her psychology of education. Her joke was she was pregnant with me when she was taking her teaching classes and so I knew who John Dewey was before I knew who Santa Claus was. And so kind of coming back to your journey, my journey as a teacher has literally been my whole life. Mm-hmm. Now, it's been more formal in peaks and valleys. But again, this is my driving passion because it has been. You know, my mother was a teacher. My grandmother was a teacher. Great grandma was a teacher. It's the family business. It's kind of been a background noise for 50 years it's been a formal experience 15 years but this current you know the entrepreneurial model that i'm trying to develop has really only been about the last five or six and so yeah is it an overnight sensation no if someone listening to this podcast has the 150 million that they want to donate to the cause to an outsider, that's going to look like an overnight sensation. Always. Oh, wait. What's the real story? 50 years, 15 years, five years, or overnight? D, all of the above. All of the above. Yeah. So, I mean, you just hinted to um, your family. Well, what does your, your work-life family mm. look like? I mean, how do you juggle that? Because, I mean, I, I think you're one of those people that once you start working, yeah. everything kind of just it becomes tunnel vision, right? It does. So, yeah. So, my wife has used the term work mode. Okay. And, and, and when I'm in work mode the entire rest of the world disappears. And then she understands that it takes me about an hour to transition from work mode to family mode. But when I'm also in family mode, the work life completely disappears. And so, you know, when I'm home, you know, both of my boys are grown, so I don't have to deal a lot with playing with the kids and stuff like that anymore. But when I'm home, I'm home. Unless there is... A message alert that has the little, you know, urgent warning. I don't read my emails at home. I will check my email before I leave for work at 6 in the morning. I will check my email one last time at 4 when I head home. Other than that, I check my personal email, but I don't do schoolwork at home. And at the same time, my school time, I'm focused on how can I give the best things to my kids. I can't be worried about my son's homework or any of this thing. So where I'm focused, I'm focused, Mm -hmm. but that focus shifts place Mm -hmm. to place. 
So what's your morning routines? And I mean, I know I see Ooh. you early in the morning at <laughs> carpool. So your morning has to yeah. start at like five, right? It does. Yeah. I get up at five, shower, comb the beard, all that kind of stuff. Breakfast. And I usually check like Twitter and Facebook more so for, okay, what's the big idea that's floating around right now? Mm-hmm. And at least in education, I get a lot more from Twitter than I do from Facebook. Really? Well, and, and I think Twitter has become the go-to because it's short, quick, mm-hmm. and pointed. So I, you know, I can put in hashtag PBL or hashtag project-based learning, mm-hmm. and I'm only getting project-based learning 280 characters, in, out, done. And so if I can't catch someone's attention in 280 characters, I'm on to the next, mm-hmm. give me the next feed, give me the next feed. Hey guys, let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsor. Support for Boss Uncaged and the following message comes from Boutique. Boutique inspirational apparel and more. Break through and conquer your next meeting. Walk in and spotlight your success with inspirational business apparel, accessories, and more. Visit B-U-T-E-K-E.com today and order products that represent your success. Back to the show. But then there will be that one... My new hobby, it's called wearable technology. Cool. And there are these amazing women who are doing fashion designs that have computers and LEDs and motors embedded into the fashion. Mm-hmm. And this whole new realm of not only do, do you dress for the environment, your clothes adapt to the environment. Yeah, I'm dying for that to be mainstream. <laughs> oh, and the one that blew me, I want to say her name... I forget her name because I keep going to Sophie Wong's feed. This lady made a skirt. The hem of the skirt's the New York skyline. It looks cool. But then the windows light up. Hmm. And and there's a little microcomputer on her hip with a microphone. And so if she's at a club and there's music playing, the lights of the skyline bump like a view meter, Hmm. the LEDs. And it twinkles if it's quiet. And so you really have this adaptive, interactive fashion. That's like everyone should be doing something like that. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, when does that become mainstream? Well, I mean, I think Amazon is touching upon it now. The, yeah. The, the gla- Echo Glasses is coming. Yes. And yep. so I'm, I'm, I'm on that waiting list. I'm just like, oh. just call me, please. Yeah. Send me a message. And I, they got the um, Echo Ring as well, too, which is not necessarily new technology. Right. But the fact that it's on Amazon will make it mainstream technology. Right. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that go in and, and seeing what people do with it. Because, I mean, like you said, once you get to the point to where you have a ring and you start applying APIs to it. Yep. Then you're opening up car doors. You're at the grocery store making purchases. You're doing all these things that you do on a, on a daily day thing that now you wouldn't even have to think about doing it. Right. See, and I think that's where it becomes a game changer. Can you do something without really thinking about it? I I was fortunate. I got one of the Google Glass. Nice, and it was fantastic. I even like I took it to school a couple of times. Would let the kids play with it, and then it became a okay. But what next? And and because there really wasn't that secondary market for the APIs, for the plugins, for all these other things, and it never was really fashionable. Yeah, it was you know? bulky. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was bulky. It was uncomfortable, and it just looked weird. You know, and, you know, everyone became a glass hole. And I think the technology was fantastic, but people had to focus on how do I use it? Whereas, you know, the ring and our phones, you don't even think about how do I use my phone? You just start tapping. Yeah, but I think the next is more so voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, voice is just going to be, because voice, I mean, you just have so many commands. Mm -hmm. And once it kind of transpires into a conversation, it's going to be over. Oh, yeah. Because now it's like one command and one syllable kind of things. Do this, wait, then do this, wait. It's like an if, else, then statement, right? Yeah. But once you get to the point where we're like having a conversation, do all these different things, the sky's the limit. Oh, absolutely. And then you add an augmented reality to that. Right. It's a whole other ballgame. Absolutely. Where education comes in, now you start thinking in terms of why does it become important to have a decent vocabulary? Okay, you're now talking to a device that is literally connected to 
the entire repository of all human knowledge. Literally is. Okay, so I want to use a word like marvelous as opposed to pretty shiny. Or I want to use epic in a purposeful, meaningful way. And so, you know, when a kid comes back, it's like, why do I have to have vocabulary words? You are now talking to Shakespeare. You could have a virtual conversation with William Shakespeare. You could have a conversation with Aristotle. You could have a conversation with, you know, Ada Lovelace. If you're talking to Ada Lovelace, yo, Ada, what's up? No, <laughs> you want to present yourself as worthy of this conversation. Mm. Build your vocabulary. Now, at the same time, you're going to meet real people. Build your vocabulary. You want to understand why these people are important. All You know, that comes back to, why am I learning it? I want a good grade. No, 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 no. You want to learn these things because you're now connected to everyone in the world. How is everyone in the world going to look at you when you start talking, when you present yourself, when you have these conversations? So now education has just taken on a whole new purpose and meaning. It definitely has. So, I mean, it seems like you're always on. What time do you go to bed? What's your your nightly routines look like? (laughs) Depending on the day and the week. Last couple of weeks... Just big projects at school, big projects at home. I fall asleep in the, in the chair in front of the TV about 8.30. And, and then wake up around 10, zombie walk, fall back into bed. <laughs> On a Friday night, I can usually, I'll stay up and read a little bit more till about 11, 11.30, go to bed. If I'm not overly stressed, we usually have dinner around 6 37, 7.30, depending on when the food is made. 7.30 to 8.30, I'm reading, I'm watching a TV show, picking up this, figuring something out. 8.30, trying not to fall asleep. By about 9.30, I've fallen asleep regardless. <laughs> and then in bed by 10. So, got it, yeah. got it. So with the situation that you brought up in the beginning of this conversation about the $150 million, right? Right. Where do you see yourself... In 20 years. And think about yeah. it from the standpoint, if that, and I'm saying if because it's right. highly possible. Oh, yeah. Oh, in the next five years, you yeah. get that $150 million, Yeah. Where would you see yourself 20 years from now? So what I would love to see, mm-hmm. if I got the magic genie and three mm-hmm. wishes. So one, running this project, you know, a, a 10-year ultimate school project. What worked, what didn't. One of the things I love about Google, they have that X-Labs project mm-hmm. where you, here's a wild idea, just take it, run with it, what happens? Okay, if it worked, now it's viable, turn it into a project. If it didn't work, what did we learn from it? Run that project for 10 years, and then at the end of 10 years, almost keeping the school running, but now turning it into a demonstration school other teachers, other school administrators from around the world coming in, observing, how does this work? Let's do a teacher training. Now, take these ideas back to the rest of the world. And then ideally, even coming up to, you know, would love to be like Secretary of Education, either for the state of Georgia or for the feds, and then say, okay, look, now that I'm in a position of influence, we're going to stop the nonsense. Okay, we know test scores don't work. I'm going to be bold enough to say, if we know they don't work, stop using them. But I've, I've got to earn you know, the bona fides to be able to get to that point to say, we know these don't work. So run the program, build the influence, have, you know, look, I can make this thing work. Now, let me make this work on a district level a state level a national level let's change everything i think that's definitely interesting don't you think that's going to be a bit of a hurdle i mean even if you become this huge influencer right yeah Yeah. with the society that we live in if it's not capitalism if it's not socialism if it's not a i mean that's really the two that yeah completely that we live in right oh yeah how would that work because i mean they're using the test scores essentially to kind of organize and move whether you're gonna be white collar or blue collar right that's why I want to come back to this skill tree. I need to find database 
on-the-fly data visualization, programmer, whatever. So here's a nice framework. A teacher can put in the projects. It shows up on the student screen. Students can upload the artifact of what they've learned. Teacher gives feedback. Student responds. The whole thing is, you know, it's almost like an Instagram feed blended with a World of Warcraft skill tree. Now here's a product. Okay, that product can then be integrated into, you know, PowerSchool, Canvas, Google Classroom, any of these other things. That's off and running. Where I think schools really need, you know, even if we, you know, socialism or capitalism, their socialism, you still have things you have to pay for. And so there should be choices for parents to say, hey, look, you know, this school down the road is stuck in the 50s. We either need a new principal or we need an option to send my kids someplace new. Mm -hmm. So there should be some market influence there. On the other side, I don't want the military going to the lowest bidder on a contract. I want, you know, the Army and the Navy and the Air Force to have competent working machines. And the taxes are willing to pay for those. So we pay for the military. We pay for the police. We pay for the roads. I want the best roads in the country, and I'm willing to pay for them. I also want the best schools. And so where I think on either side of those, once we redefine what school should be, if we move more towards the socialism, all right, every school should now have these hallmarks of excellence. Mm -hmm. And the schools who don't, there should be some repercussions to that. Capitalism goes wild. Look, there are still things we as a people want to pay for. Education should be fairly high on that list. I love this quote from the author John Green. He's like, the reason I don't mind paying taxes for schools, even though I don't have kids of my own, I don't want to live in a nation of stupid people. And so when the large market of the populace agrees, hey, look, I'm willing to pay a slightly higher tax rate if I get better people coming out. But the way to get better people coming out is we don't want the robotic test scores. I want to see the dancers dance. I want to see the musicians play. I want to see the writers write. On the same time, I want to see the engineers building things. I want to see the mechanics fix. So whether it's blue collar or white collar doesn't matter. I want, you know, the girl with grease under her fingernails who can rebuild a 67 Chevy. Nice. I want to know who she is at 15 and bring her into my hot rod shop or, you know, set her up with an internship. At the same time... If there's a boy over here who's a brilliant dancer, I want him to have the opportunities to dance here, read in the afternoon, dance in the morning, school at night. We really have to start redefining school as not this... A chore? <laughs> right. Not a chore, not even factory work. Mm. You know, it's like, you know, you come into fifth grade, you have mm. to do these things, we process you, you go on to sixth grade. Mm. If you don't, we reprocess you again. It's like, I don't want 24 exact copies of fifth graders. Well, it's like you said, I mean, back in the 30s, it right. was, they needed that. Exactly. Right. That's where school got stuck. You know, I love educational history mm -hmm. because you can actually see, like, you know, from 1776 to the 1880s, there really wasn't the concept of school. You had the universities mm -hmm. like Harvard and Yale, but they were specifically for doctor, lawyer, you know, philosopher, they were a high-end training. You still had merchants who were teaching their apprentices math. You still had silversmiths. You still had farmers. There was still people educating. You just didn't go to school for it. Mm -hmm. And you it would more take... the trade. Right. Yeah. But you still had, you know, Paul Revere was a silversmith. That was his trade. The man was still brilliant. And so we start getting into this oh, you're a mechanic. No, I am the world's best mechanic. Hmm. One of my college summer jobs, 
I worked on a hot rod shop with this guy. But he only worked on Fords only before 1959. So anything with a Ford flathead V8, he could do magic with that engine. And, you know, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Tops. We have this letter in the shop. Billy Gibbons called Tony about getting a motor for the Eliminator. He's like, no, 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 because you're putting a Ford in a Willys, and I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, someone would look at him and go, oh, well, you're just a mechanic. It's like, no, this guy could work magic with a wrench. And here's his proof Here's all of the engines that he's built over the years. I think to your credit, I think media has expanded on that, like through the TV oh, yeah. shows, the reality yeah. shows, and you kind of don't look at mechanics the same. You won't look at tattoo artists the same. Mm-mm. You look at all these different people that have all these like individual trades that were underdogs, per se, right. in a completely different light. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Completely so, different light. Yeah. All right. So what tools you would not be able to do what you do without? Ooh. First and foremost, and this is going to sound weird, pen and paper. Okay. I have about 45 journals. Nice. And I'm a huge fan of the Zebra F304 pen. It's a solid metal body with the rubber grip on the top and a, you know, 0.7 fine point ballpoint pen. It just feels good in your hand as you're writing. Gotcha. And so, you know, I tell my students, like, look, any project I start... If it's a new program, I flowchart. If it's a new build, I sketch. If it's even just a new writing assignment, I outline. But I get my ideas out first. Mm -hmm. So I could not do anything without pen and paper. And then after that, give me a good computer. And by good, reliable. I've got an HP running Windows 10 at home. I've got more Raspberry Pi little pocket computers gotcha. than I know what to do with. Mm. I've used Macs. I used to you know, have a nice 27-inch. Mm. The brand really doesn't matter, mm-hmm. but a consistent, I know where things are. And I can, if I don't have Photoshop or Word or you know whatever I need, I have a way to go out and get it. So number one, pencil and paper. Number two, some kind of connected computer. And then after that, it depends on the project. Hmm. You know, give me a soldering iron, give me a socket wrench. Basically, give me Amazon. And whatever I need, I get it in 24 hours. hours. (laughs) Yeah. So what final words of wisdom would you like to leave behind for up-and-coming entrepreneurs, business owners, and even kids that may possibly even be listening to this podcast and hear you speak about what education should be? Yeah. I wish they were original to me. Because I'd love to take credit for it. But the best advice to entrepreneurs, kids, any of that stuff, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. One of the best books I've ever read just about life in general. Mm -hmm. It really is more of a business manual. But he starts with most people talk about what they do, how they do it, and then eventually get to why they do it. But the people who really changed the world, his example on YouTube, TED Talk, mm-hmm. he's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Apple Computers, and the Wright Brothers. And the Wright Brothers weren't the only people working on airplanes at the time. There were about five, five or six other groups, all of which were better funded, had better talent, even had more prospects as far as what to do once you got this thing off the ground. Mm-hmm. But the Wright Brothers were just mad dog passionate about this concept and they inspired that passion in their crew in the people around them you listen to dr martin luther king especially not just his speeches the people around him you know like the andrew youngs and the john lewis's when they would talk about what he was like behind closed doors he was just driven by this concept of the dignity of every human you know, even just sitting around having dinner, the dignity of every human. Apple computers, their computers are great, but their big thing is we want a different computing experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, we also make computers. Yeah. So Extra zero. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> and truly, start find your why. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that drives you, find it, define it, 
and I mean, just cling, mad dog passionate about whatever. But that's going to be what drives you. And if you're making $10 billion, you're going to enjoy that because you've earned every $10 billion. If you're making $10 an hour, but you're passionate about what you're doing, it's not going to feel like work. So whatever the outcome, as long as you're passionate about what you're doing, you're a success. And there it is. That's good stuff. Yeah. What is your greatest achievement to date? So on the business side, I did take a risk. Well, I've got two that are kind of on par. Mm. The first one, I was interviewed for a book called Loving Learning. Mm. And the guy who was writing the book was a principal at a school out in Oakland. And he took a year off. And he said, I wanted to find the teachers who are really doing this progressive education stuff well. And in the middle of his journey, he uh, developed bone cancer. And the parents at his school were so enamored with his passion for this project, they pulled their money and they hired a Pulitzer Prize winner reporter to work with him to finish the book. Nice. So that reporter interviewed me for the book. And so they're in Loving Learning, Tom Little and Catherine Ellison, Chapter five is progressive education and technology. And it's actually a peek into my classroom and how project-based learning works with computers, works with kids, how to use computers to make a better society and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. And just the first time seeing your name in a book Hmm. for someone who's a voracious reader, I'm like, that's pretty damn cool. (laughs) I'm in a book. And then the second one, educational teachers, the big overwhelming organization. It's called ISTE, Mm -hmm. International Society for Technology Educators. Fantastic group. And every year they hold a big conference where 20,000 people from around the world will talk about educating using technology. They offered a program on AI in the classroom. And, you know, how do you teach kids about how Alexa works? How do you trust what Amazon recommends you know, okay, so that's all AI. And so I took the course and I did really well. And the end of the course, they invited four course members to go to the conference and do a panel presentation on AI in the classroom. And I got to be one of those four. Nice. And so at home on my dresser, there's a little ISTE 2018 speaker name tag. And I'm like, I presented at ISTE. That feels pretty damn good. Good stuff. So far. Yeah. You still got time on the clock. So. Right, right. And I mean, the next one, I want to do a TED Talk because, you know, everyone does a TED Talk eventually. Yeah, I think yeah. you definitely could deliver some insightful, intuitive theories that people are not probably used to hearing about education. So, Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I try. And then like the ultimate, you know, at the point where I can say, okay, I can stop now. Mm-hmm. The MacArthur Awards nice. for creativity. It's like, okay... Do the TED Talk to put me on their radar, get the MacArthur Award, and I'm like, okay, I can dial it down to at least a nine now. I don't have to live at 11 anymore. (laughs) All right, I got a bonus question for you. All right. If you could spend 24 hours with anybody, dead or alive, Mm. who would it be and why? (sighs) Okay. So her name isn't really well known. Okay. But she gave me my mantra. And seriously, before carpool at 7 in the morning... Mm. When I pull into the parking lot, before I get out of my car, I repeat this to myself every morning. So the mantra is, someday the system will be such that teachers and students will come to school with ecstatic joy. And at the end of the day, students will go, will talk about the things they had done and will talk with pride. I want education to be the great tool of democracy. Her name is Ella Flagg Young. She was the superintendent of schools for all of Chicago back in 1917. So she had actually won the post and she couldn't vote for herself because women didn't have the right to vote yet. But she transformed Chicago schools to be these amazing, interactive, hands-on, enjoyable places where teachers... I mean, she had the vision of teachers and students wanting to go to school school being an enjoyable place to be. 
So if I could have 24 hours to just pick someone's brain, I want to hang out with Ella Flagg Young. That's pretty cool. I mean, her whole life was... So like the whole rest of the paragraph, she talks about like, they were losing students at the time in fifth grade. And she says, by giving them something to do with their hands, we were able to save most of them. Mm. To be, to awaken the spirit of the students, the teachers themselves must be awake. So we've tried to free the teachers. And she really had just this bold brand design of what school should be before we even had things like computers and, you know, collaborative, you know, when she talks about building something with your hand, she's literally talking about hammer and nails and wood and paper and pen. And yet that was their proof of what they've learned was I built this thing. I wrote this thing. Here's the pride in my work. The only people I can show it to is mom and dad, but I'm still proud. Hmm. And, you know, would, would love to let her see like, Hey, look, you, here are the tools. A kid can build their own virtual world. A kid can recreate the Jamestown settlement, and you can walk around it in 3D to prove that they understand early American settlements. It's true. It's so true. one, to get the, a deeper understanding of what she was talking about, but then also to show her, like, look, we've got every tool you ever dreamed of and more. We just want to step into your shoes. Yeah, I would think it would be interesting yeah. because with, considering you're talking about 100 years ago, like technology has leaped and bounds. So if she had that much of an impact then, what would it be to ask her the questions now with the technology at hand? Oh, yeah. A whole nother. Yeah. It opens up Pandora's box. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. yeah. With Pandora's box, it is both the good and the evil. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, with that, I, I, right. I definitely appreciate you coming out. I mean, it was happy to be here. Truly. Great. Great, great, great podcast. I mean, I think you definitely dropped some insight to where, unfortunately, we wish there were more teachers like you in the system to build more entrepreneurs earlier on coming out, understanding that everything doesn't have to be so linear. Right. It doesn't have to be, did you get 100 on the exam? It's more so, did you understand it and how could you apply it? And I think you demonstrated that today. Uh, thank you. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. All right. So the next podcast, okay. right? this one's called um, Boss Up Q&A. Okay. So I'm an open book. All right. Ask me whatever you want. One thing that you talked about when you, you're saying you, you go back to school, mm-hmm. how do you find the places to learn the good stuff? Got it. Got it. So for me, and I talked about this on, I think, on this podcast, which is a question and answer about how do I find things. So one trick that I've learned to use, this is just one of many, mm-hmm. is to trick Facebook's algorithm. Ooh. So by using, uh, I think it's called Tobo Ad Finder on Chrome as okay. an extension, what I do is that when you turn that plugin on, it only shows you ads, sponsored ads, 100%. And if you know Facebook, it's all driven on what you like, what you share, what you've purchased. So if I make a purchase for a class, and I've made purchases before, like Learn.com, right? right Onik, right. and he, he's a great educator for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So once I click on one of his promotional ads, everybody else that's in that family automatically pops up in my feed. Ooh. So, okay. So then now yeah. I'm looking at 100% feed of exactly what I want. That's why when you said you didn't use Facebook, I was like, this Facebook has two point something billion people. Yeah. It's kind of, I can't ignore it. Right. And especially if you're using it as a tool. So that's one way that I find it. Another that's way fantastic. is um, word of mouth, you know, okay. kind of seeing what's out there. Another one that I found was um, Kindle Cashflow. And his name is Ty Cohen. I forgot how I found it, and I ended up finding it, I think it was through a podcast. Mm-hmm. So I think podcast is another really good, believe it or not, like radio. Radio's not dead. It's right. just oh, been yeah, reinvented yeah. itself. Right. So listen to a podcast, and I think it was Onyx podcast, okay. that he was talking about it. And then I started following this guy, and I never heard of him until that point. And then I started doing my research, started looking. I'm like, well, this guy was at the dawn of Kindle. He got invited to kind of, through Amazon, to kind of start the whole Kindle thing. Wow. So he's a multimillionaire because he's understand the principles of Kindle from day one. And okay. he, he understands the algorithm. He understands, just like how I've figured out how to trick Facebook's algorithm. Right, right, He's right. figured out Amazon Kindle as well. That's fantastic. So once I got into his class, it was just like, you know, I wrote books before. But the books I'm writing now, in his vision, in his philosophy, I'm writing 52 books versus back then I was writing two books. <sighs> to answer your question, yeah. For me, it's, it's essentially 100% online. Okay. Yeah. And manipulating the environment. So some people may go on to Facebook and they may look at random cats meowing. 
if I go on Facebook, I'm looking for something tangible. Right. There it is. That's awesome. So other than the social media, Mm -hmm. what's three websites you would recommend everyone should check out immediately? It comes down to the topic, right? I mean, without self-promoting my stuff. (laughs) Believe it or not, I think I just said Mm learn.com. I think Anik has gotten to the point to where his driving factor is giving back to entrepreneurs. Okay. And he has a platform that's massive and everybody and their mother is essentially partnering with him. So he's becoming kind of like the, the Amazon for entrepreneur learning. Wow. Okay. So and learn spell L U R N. But if you just log into it, and if you're more of a marketing person, you kind of mm-hmm. see a strategy and you kind of see he has a small buy-in, a free buy-in, a webinar, and just seeing how he's moving through the internet and what he's doing. And then when you get on this platform, Oh, you can learn about anything, yeah. whether it's Facebook, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Pinterest, whether it's blogging, every single aspect of online strategy, online marketing, business, it's wow. there. That's amazing. It's there. And yeah. then if he doesn't have it, he brings other people in, like Ty Cohen. Right. He brought Ty in, and Ty is, is 100% Kindle. Um, Fred Lamb is 100% yeah. Shopify online storefronts. Okay. He brought him in. So right. it's just once you start knowing these names, they're kind of like the unsung millionaires behind the scenes. It's like you have the big Jeff Bezos as a billionaire, but it's, there's like thousands of millionaires that have all strategized and worked together to manipulate the environment. And it's like they're there. And once you're in those circles, it just multiplies and multiplies. I think once you're in that circle, mm-hmm. that that is a huge concept. Because I one thing I've noticed from the education mm-hmm. side you can get the information anywhere, yep. but the socialization of who do your friends know, who does your oh, yeah. teacher know, who does your professor know in college that can connect you to. Mm. So, yeah, those circles. Really- yeah. The funny thing is always like, you know, if you're the fourth wheel or the fifth wheel and the other four millionaires, then by default, either you're yeah. going to get purged out right. or you're going to upgrade yourself. Exactly. And yeah. so, I mean, and recently I've got kind of – abducted into this group mm-hmm. randomly out of nowhere and it was funny because again i found ty cohen through onik okay through yeah. ty cohen went to one of his um mastermind groups and i found greg caesar which is another online legend right yep and yep. through greg caesar he in- invited me out to a mastermind group and, and my first day in the mastermind group and i, I said something completely crazy because i was just kind of like where the hell have you people been this entire time but i'm in a room with one guy that owns um a learning platform that he does like online learning training. So if let's say you want to do um, a course, right? He owns his own course platform. Wow! And I'm like, okay, that this guy, this other guy, owns a YouTube marketing, and he's not like a five dollar a day YouTube. He's like a ten thousand dollar a day YouTube guy, right? And then I'm on the other side is this other guy that ClickFunnel. Hmm. He's like the um, announcer for ClickFunnels. And he's a major brand, and he has all this stuff going on as well, too. And I'm sitting there like, how did I end up in this room? I'm not complaining. I'm in here. <laughs> it's about to go down. Yep. So it's just, again, you got to be in the room. And then once you're in the room, you got to uh, be active, too. That's one thing that I've learned. It's like you can't sit in the room and just be quiet and absorb. You have to get back to the room as well, right. too. Yeah. What is the tool, not on the tech side, mm-hmm. that you find yourself can't live without? It will have to go back to Notepad and, okay. and paper. It's just one of those random things. I don't think I'm as bad as some people. Like you and my significant other, she yeah. is completely engulfed. She, if I can give her a Notepad every single day of the week, and it could be a random new Notepad, she's yeah. in to the point where she has a digital Notepad that transcribes on the fly. But for me, it's just you know, growing up with paint in my hand and markers from a graffiti standpoint, I've always had a notebook. Right. So just when I go into meetings. I just always need to have something in my hand just to open up and jot down notes. And for me, it's like, okay, I have it in there, and then I have to get it from this object and make an action out of it. Because right. if it stays in the book, it'll never get utilized. So I have to kind of, okay, what's the action steps? Now, I'm really big on bullets and okay. lists. Yeah. That's how I do most of that. I do bullets and lists, and I'm always making sure I'm checking off at least 75% of that list. Because if I don't, then I'm like, well, damn, these four or five lists are going to add up, Yeah. and I'm never going to get anything done. Right. So the other question that I'll, when I meet new people, so I've known you for a while, but I'm going to ask you the question. Yeah. What book are you reading right now? I'm trying to think. I read more than one book, but I, I okay. listen to audio books. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just trying to think which one am I listening to right now? 
Actually, I just pull up my phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Audible. I think there's two of them right now to listen to. I, I just finished re-listening to the four-hour work week. Mm. The big one I'm listening to right now, it's taking me longer than most because there's so many um, action items. Okay. Atomic Habits by James Clare. Ooh, I want to check this one out. Yeah, okay. Atomic Habits is a pretty solid book. Mm. And besides that, I just you know finished You Are a Badass. And believe it or not, so you want to start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just listened to that with like, you know, last 30 days. Yeah. And it was very informative, very informative. I mean, a lot of the tools and tips yeah. that was in that book is part of the reason why I had the podcast set up the way I have it right now. And there's gotcha. little details and little nuances that most people, they just don't put in their podcast because they don't do the studying before starting a podcast. Right. You mentioned four-hour work week. Yep. Has it changed the way you work? Is it worthwhile? Yeah. I think it's going to be a timeless book. It's going to be like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. It's going to be one of those books 30, 50, 60, 70 years from now, like Think and Grow, grow Rich, right. like Napoleon yeah. Hill, to where the practicality of that book, if you apply the actions of that book, it is almost impossible for it not to work for you. And Like anything else, if you dedicate your time to it, and he gives you literally one of the steps in there is, okay, you work for somebody right now. You don't want to quit the job today. So you have to take steps on phasing out from the job and right. stepping on your own. So first thing you do is you make up a plan to say, hey, I should work from home every Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Then you work from home every Thursday, and then you multiply what you would deliver if you were there. And then you say, well, if I'm doing this much work from home on Thursdays, let me do Thursdays and Wednesdays. And then eventually you get to the point, well, let me do one. one I come in office just for main meetings, and I'll work from home on a regular basis. Right. And then while you're doing that, the other strategy is you're, you're building your business at the same time. Right. right. So now you don't have anybody breathing over your shoulders. You have the freedom to execute the work on your own schedule. And then you have way more time in your day than you can imagine that you can start something and build on it. And that's the, the you know, obviously you don't want to quit your job until you have other income. Right. That's a hell of a way to transition. That's fantastic. So I've read his other book, The 4-Hour Body, mm. and because of his success with The 4-Hour Workweek, mm. again, circles, he's been able to interview people all over the world about how can you train to run a marathon in mm. 12 weeks. And you know, some of the stuff I'm, I'm sitting there reading, I'm like, that's got to be just absolutely brutal. You know, is this Tim Ferriss guy really for real? But then the few that I've tried, I'm like, Damn, it works. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely yeah. does. And the thing is, it's not it's not a book that you have to check off the list and do everything in the book. Right. You could figure out what works for you. And he gives examples and he tells you stories, you know, just like people that want to travel the world and they say they don't want to travel the world because they have kids. And he tells you, well, how, this is how you do it with your kid. Right, right, right. And he explains to you, like, literally almost step by step, well, if you have a kid, then before you leave to go to that country, you may want to find out what the school education system's like. You may want to find out if it's private school. And right. you could do all this research before you even get on a plane. And then once you get off the plane, you really have things in place. There so there's no interruption in your child's education yeah. if you plan for it. That's awesome. So, I mean, definitely, yeah. his book is, I'll say it's in my top ten right now. Okay. Good to know. That's pretty much what I've got. Cool, I, cool. Yeah, I definitely appreciate yeah. it, man. Uh, yeah. I said the first podcast was great, and the second one was just as great to me. I mean, I, I definitely yeah. enjoyed your questions. Absolutely. So it's a Very pleasure. Cool. All right. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to become an uncaged trailblazer. If this podcast helped you, please email me about it. Submit additional questions you would love to hear me ask our guests and or drop me your thoughts at asksagrant.com. Post comments, share, hit subscribe, and remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss Uncaged are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful book, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.sagrant.com slash boss uncaged.